Hey everybody, I'm Peter and I just don't get these Mandalorians. She's a proud warrior representing her heritage. It's Jonah Murray. Yes, Clan Macias in the house. <laughs> so tight. So thank you so much again for guest hosting while Mike is on paternity leave. Of course, happy to help, happy to talk about Mandos. I mean... What's not to love? I know. I'm like so happy because I keep feeling like kind of sheepish. Like, hey, could you fill it on another one? And then it was like, oh, yeah, what's the episode? Imperial Super Commandos. And then you just like squeed. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) So I love it. Thanks again. Of course. Of course. So welcome to Rebels Rebels, the show that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode by episode deep dive into the animated series Star Wars Rebels. Nice. You ready to jump into this? I'm so ready. Are you? Oh, yeah. We should go in guns blazing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Blasters pew, blazing. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Perfect. Because that's what Mandalorians do. <laughs> I love that. Cool. So we are talking about Imperial Super Commandos. This is season three, episode six, according to our count. The crew gets word that there's trouble on Concord. Dawn, still a prisoner, Fenrau assures the rebel crew that their deal for safe passage is still solid and his men would never betray him. As such, Rao, Sabine, Ezra, and Chopper travel to Atalon to see what is up. On their way to the Conquered Dawn system, though, Ezra gets distracted by the shattered planet of Atalon and is ambushed by Rao when he turns a blind eye. Waking from their days, Ezra and Sabine realize they have landed and exit the newly painted Phantom 2 to see Rao staring in disbelief over the wreckage of his former base. Seemingly, his men and his base have been destroyed, and he blames Sabine for capturing him and holding him prisoner when he could have helped in the attack. Rao then suggests that the attack was carried out by a rival Mandalorian clan, but Ezra wonders if the Empire is at fault. Turns out they're both kind of right, as Imperial Mandalorians led by the crimson-armored Gar Saxton bears down on the crew and captures Ezra while Rao and Sabine escape. Fen Rao argues that they should leave Ezra because pawns are meant to be sacrificed. But after hearing (laughs) Sabine's pleas and a radio transmission that confirms the Empire is at fault for the deaths of his men, he seemingly agrees to help Ezra before then seemingly ditching them in the Phantom 2 and leaving them in the hands of Saxon. Jerk move. (laughs) After an extended rocket pack chase and a change of heart, Rao returns to the battle, saving the rebel crew and leaving Saxton stranded without a ship. As they depart, Rao says he's impressed with Sabine's dedication to the to Mandalore and realizes that their way of life is still important to her. So he offers to officially join the rebellion and help free Mandalore from the clutches of Gar Saxton. 
<laughs> that was one awesome episode. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in this one. Um, the theme of the episode, to my mind, is a little on the nose again, but it is cultural awakenings. Are you sure it's not Mandalorians are crazy? <laughs> I'm pretty All right, scribble, sure. Scribble, scribble, scribble. The Erase everything. The theme is Mandalorians are crazy. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my breakdown. <laughs> So this this episode represents a turning point for Sabine. Um, it's a slow turning point. She doesn't have like a very big pivot, um, like at one moment. But as mentioned, as Fenrau, Sabine still embodies the traditional ideals of Mandalore. Um, but perhaps her turn away from that, the reason that he couldn't see it, was more of a subconscious than overt turn for Sabine. What I mean by that is over the course of the Mandalorian arc we will see Sabine embrace her Mandalorian heritage more openly as she shifts from her focus of fighting for the galaxy to fighting for Mandalore. I'm reminded of my experience as a first-generation American, an experience I know many children of immigrants have. I wanted to fit in really desperately um, that I subconsciously changed who I was to fit in. Embarrassed that your friends would come over and smell food they weren't accustomed to, or comment on the unique decor and sometimes smell of your house. Mm. I ditched traditional and cultural clothing for more American clothing. I didn't realize I could be myself while also fitting in. There's an awesome Dave Chang podcast done by the famous chef, Dave Chang. And he talks often about how he would throw away his lunch because his Korean mother packed kimchi. And the other kids at his school would make fun of him. Ironically now, kimchi is one of the hottest foods in America. Nary a hipster menu can be found without kimchi on it. Mm. So as we celebrate and accept things that make us different, instead of being ashamed of them, it is hopefully easier for us to bring our full selves to the table. We know that Sabine had traumatic experiences with her family, and again with the Imperial Academy, and we'll learn more about those experiences soon. But it's important to ask what makes someone hide their true identity as they move to be at peace with themselves. As Sabine grows more confident in herself, she begins to reconsider her place in the galaxy and her place in her family's legacy. Just as I have come around to absorbing as much as I can about my cultural tra traditions and heritage, Sabine will soon wield a jetpack and the Darksaber, becoming the hero that her planet needs more so than the galaxy. Which I think is going to be quite a cool turn for her and i'm excited to see right. more of that yeah that's very well said because you know a lot of people experience that i know mm -hmm. i grew i was born in puerto rico and i was only raised there for a short time before we moved to new york mm. and i'm the only one with the not complete knowledge because I really don't speak it all that well, but <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one of my, including my brother and my cousins that can speak Spanish mm -hmm. and can get away with speaking Spanish. Um, whereas the others just understand it, but they're not able to communicate it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and they never had the motivation to do it either because their parents, you know, there's this whole thing about assimilating and being part of, what's around you instead of going against the stream because mm -hmm. it's easier that way. You'll be able to live easier in that with that mentality. Yeah. 
And and it's sad because you start to lose those things that make you who you are. That's part of your culture. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's not even, I mean, it's a complicated issue. It's not very black and white, like, oh, bad. It's just bad. Um, you know, because I think, at least in my case, my mom had the, the immigrant's experience and faced a lot in that. So she she wanted to shield us from that. So, you know. She would still prepare traditional food and stuff like that, but also, you know, encourage us to be as American as possible to try to fit in and assimilate. And so I think I didn't grow up with appreciation that my culture brings to the table. And Mm. so I'm in my older age, you know, I'm really trying to learn as much as I can and playing catch up on that because I think it's really good to kind of embrace both ideals at the same time, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and it's interesting to see Sabine embrace that more mm-hmm. um, because I always thought after she left the Imperial Academy, I always thought she just like wanted to blend in the background. Yeah, Like totally. still contribute, still find a way to make things better in the galaxy. But she wasn't the type to me to, uh, you know, step in front and <laughs> and, and just say, hey, um, this, this I'm Sabine and this is she she was also a very just very quiet to me. Yeah. And and yeah, you can see her start to embrace that and be more vocal about it. Yeah, and that's a good point that I didn't really think about is you know, you would see on her face if you just looked at her character design, the bright colors, the painting, all the expression that she's like you would just assume like she's a showy person and she's like the life of the party and just this interesting artist. It's all sassy, but you know, in a lot of cases, that's a shield. That's someone putting up their defenses. Like, I don't know how many people, especially when they're younger around Sabine's age, growing up in my community that, you know, they had the piercings and the, the colored hair and, you know, they wore the makeup that some people would think was like kind of out there. They were big artists, but inside they were just really putting that all up because they didn't want you to know the real them. Um, so that might be a little bit of Sabine's shield, you know, she's deflecting herself with this art so that people can't really get to the nut of what's going on with her. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of starting, we're in the smack middle of the Mandalorian arc in a way. Um, I, it's a slow arc cause it's not like a, just like one episode after another, but we're kind of slowly unfolding what is going on with the Mandalorians and Sabine specifically and we are introduced to the imperial super commandos or as ezra calls him the flying stormtroopers <laughs> or sabine's evil cousins <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was really fun so as we see them fly into battle they recognize saxton as a member of the traitorous house Vizla. so we're starting to learn a little bit about that what are those Flying stormtroopers? Worse, they're traitors, Mandalorians who serve the Empire. Tar Saxton is a character we have seen before. He appeared in the Son of Dathomir comics as part of Maul's Shadow Collective, but he looked a lot different. He had a big helmet with Maul-esque horns and glowing yellow visor, kind of like Maul's eyes. So he was part of his kind of Imperial Guard when Maul was in charge of Mandalore. He was a Um, jerk then. He's a jerk now. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, So it's kind of cool. We're getting some of these little crumbles, these, this trail, these little things. We're like, oh, the traitorous house Vizsla. Huh? I wonder what that means to the Mandalorian. So we will unpack that later. I like that cookie crumb being crumbled. According to Pablo Hidalgo, though, Gar Saxon is the ultimate sellout. 
He dresses up in Mandalorian tradition, but is more interested in power than anything else. The Super Commandos are much more imperial than Mandalorian, according to the story group. So I think that'll be a pretty interesting push and pull, because Saxon, he says, he embodies the ideals of Mandalore. He's doing this for the sake of Mandalore, but maybe his intentions are not quite so pure. No, they're not. <laughs> He's another Vizsla. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, also, according to Pablo Hidalgo in the Rebels Recon after show, him and Dave Filoni based the design of the Super Commandos on unused designs for Boba Fett from Empire Strikes Back because Boba Fett was originally going to be the mem- a member of an elite stormtrooper class called the Imperial Super Commandos. You can see some cool test footage um, that they shot of a all-white Boba Fett that helped inspire this look. That's cool. Yeah, so it's a little Easter egg. I think that concept's kind of interesting that originally he wasn't going to be like a special person. He's just going to be part of like this crazy troop, which they're doing more and more now with the new canon, introducing like the death troopers and things like that. Yeah. I guess they toyed with that idea in Empire Strike Back, which I didn't know. Fascinating. Yeah. There's also a fun little Easter egg that I think you'll enjoy. Ooh. Did you know that there is a helmet of an Imperial Super Commando in Aunt Z's tavern on the Colossus during the New Republic era. I, I actually do remember the Mandalorian <laughs> helmet, but the thing is, yeah. I didn't know it was an Imperial Super Commando. Yep. That's yeah. cool. I didn't know that detail. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and it would be fun to know. I'm sure, like, they've talked about this. Like, I wonder if it's someone specifically, like, it got handed down, handed down, kind of like how Moss Kanata has Luke Skywalker somehow. It'd be fun if that was like Gar Saxton's helmet. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. No, I like to think that it's on Z's like many past lovers. <laughs> oh, like all those <laughs> Oh, I like that story so much better. <laughs> <laughs> like these are her trophies. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, so when the episode first um opens, they're playing a game. I don't know how to say this, but the game is called Kubi Cud? Yes, you're right. Yay. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. What what do you what do you know about Kubi Cud? Kubi Cud, I just know that they it's sort of like chess where yep. you're able to just move around and like Sabine use strategy to get your opponent, but uh that's all I know about it really. Yeah. I know that it was also a expanded universe term. Yep. Yeah, it totally was. And I like so what they ended up doing was originally they were going to be playing Dejaric, which is like the standard monster chess game that they're always playing. Um, but ultimately, the production crew wanted to take something like you mentioned out of the old EU, which was Kubikad, which is a very specific Mandalorian game it's because they wanted to do something around Mandalorian culture. And we even see that uh, Fen Rao says like, oh, your game has suffered since you left or blah, 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 something like that. Right, right. Um, I just, it's so true to Mandalore because it's daggers. <laughs> I'm know. like, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny because behind the scenes, oh, behind the scenes, the crew referred to the game as Stabble because oh, okay. of the use of the knives. <laughs> it's that's so hilarious. Mandalorian. I think we're going to play a board game, but it has to do with knives. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I love how that's a combination of Scrabble and then stabbing. <laughs> yep, totally. 
Yeah, and I just looked it up. It's it first appeared in Karen Travis's Republic Commando novels. Really? Yep. So that, oh was, that was the first appearance. Those are my favorite novels, but it's been years since I've read them, so I must yeah. have completely forgot about it. Yeah, it was probably just an offhand reference to they like doing that, which I think is kind of a cool thing. Got it. We also saw the demise of Phantom 1, and we saw the capture of Phantom 2, and now it has been officially debuted as the new colorful Phantom 2. We talked about it a little bit, but how do you feel about this final look of the Phantom 2? I really like the the little uh, artwork that Sabine yeah. put on it. And I, if I remember correctly, it was an episode that you guys recorded. I don't remember if I was in it, or, but I remember <laughs> there was a conversation around the Tibidi animal. Yep. Yeah. Horny, horny Tibidis. <laughs> think of that i'm like oh that's so funny yeah i know it's kind of funny yeah so you could see that sabine painted a tibbity onto the phantom 2 which i think is kind of saucy considering (laughs) what the tibbities wanted to do with the first phantom (laughs) so oh gosh bold artwork (laughs) (laughs) um but we get to the planet and you know you you mentioned Ezra's nicknames for the Imperial Super Commando, like the evil cousins and the flying <laughs> stormtroopers. Um, and Ezra seems to be quite confused by this new culture. Um, I'm a little confused too, honestly. Um, I mean, I know Mandalorians are crazy, as he pointed out, um, but Rao's motivations have always been a little confusing to me. Um, just like the fact that he gets captured, he's like, oh, this will give you safe passage. Um, we kind of noodled that through a little bit. And then now it's, I don't know. It's odd, um, that he's so mad at Sabine when I feel like it's not really her fault. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you have thoughts about Rao and his rage and the turns that he makes in this episode. Yeah. Rao, Rao is so interesting because, he blames i think he's it's just he doesn't have Mm -hmm. anyone else to blame like she's the immediate representation of what ended up happening in the protector of concord dawn and you know he got taken and he feels like if he was there he could have made a difference yeah totally and and i just love his loyalty to mandalore and i know earlier i mentioned pre vizsla but actually pre vizsla's goals and intentions kind of remind me of Rao's goals mm. and intentions because Pre Vizsla was so obsessed with wanting Mandalore to be separate from everything that was going on with the Clone Wars. And yeah. uh, he was willing to do anything to to make that happen. And I feel like Rao is sort of in that same mentality. Like, you know, like my loyalty is into the Empire. It isn't to the Republic, uh, the, not Republic, the Rebellion, <laughs> but it's it's to the Mandalore. So I found that interesting, that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. And and I thought Sabine's comment about them, you know, I wish, you know, we didn't fight as often as we do because then they can actually do something about <laughs> the fact yeah. that, you know, they're they're controlled by the Empire now. So yeah. Totally. I, I totally understand his love for Mandalore and how he feels like the protectors were that I guess one last thread that really represented the throne, but you guys got to stop fighting first (laughs) if you want to get there. (laughs) Yeah. He says something very interesting and I, 
I remember we kind of talked to this, but this concept's kind of interesting because, you know, you look at the planet and it's literally got chunks of the planet flying off. It's, it's the, the planet shattered. Um, and we don't have confirmation exactly what happened, but when Ezra comments on it, Rao says, we've been fighting for a long time. That's probably a paraphrase. That's something about that. And so it is interesting to me, just historically speaking, that it, like the conflicts for this culture have been so brutal that it's cracked their planet in half. Like, yeah. Not only can they not work together on like some sort of cosmic scale, they physically like can't keep their planet literally together because they can't stop fighting. <laughs> it's very, it's very actually, you can compare it to our own human race you yeah, know like how absolutely we're constantly just fighting with each other and who knows one day we will <laughs> break up apart this earth um <laughs> and then it'll just be like concord dawn <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's it's just very fascinating how you think of star wars and I, I know Star Trek is a completely different thing, but I like how Star Trek's future is more optimistic. Yeah. And I know this is supposed point. to take place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but you still, you would hope that in another galaxy, they weren't as warring or warmongering <laughs> as, as us, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. Um, there are some fun equipment things to talk about. So first of all, before we get to the real star of the show, uh, I like that they gave Fen Rao a new helmet. It's kind of interesting. It kind of reminds me of Finn in um, The Force Awakens. So if you notice, he pulls a helmet off the ground and it has blood on it, blood of one of his fallen comrades. Just oh. kind of a cool look for him. And it is sad kind of uh, thing about that, but it's, some cool continuity too, because he left his helmet in the mess hall when um, Sabine first defeated him in a, what is it? Conquered Dawn. The first episode was mm-hmm. it? Protector of Conquered Protector Dawn. Of Conquered yeah. Dawn. Back in that episode, he, when he was captured, he left his helmet in the mess hall and ran after Sabine. So he's hasn't had his helmet this whole time. So he just grabbed one off the ground. Um, so I like that continuality. And I do think it is kind of a cool, tragic look for him. Mm, yeah. And then the real star of the show, Sabine, gets her a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> you mean it's not Ezra coming up with multiple names to try to get away from the, from the reality of the situation? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sabine's jetpack. I love mm-hmm. that she finally gets a jetpack. Like, you can't think of a Mandalorian. A Mandalorian, what's it? Oh, shoot. Bo-Katan mentioned oh, yeah. this as uh, something along the lines of a Mandalorian with a jetpack is a weapon. Yeah. And totally. I thought, oh man, that's so gold. Yeah. <laughs> She's so much cooler with the jetpack. It's just like such a sick, such a sick thing to have on your team. And like, I just, I love it. I'm not a big action guy, but like, especially just this right here, the jetpack chase. I thought it, the animation was awesome. The action was awesome. Um, they did love like Ezra hanging with his green lightsaber, just like trying to deflect bolts like a little chicken with his head cut off. Um, and it was, it was really well done and beautiful. I love the direction of that scene. Yeah, it's weird, but it, it's sort of like she got her wings, you know, mm. and 
what's that saying that whenever a bell ring, an angel gets its wings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you know, the sound of a blaster went off and something <laughs> got her wings. Yeah. <laughs> That's so appropriate because I'm like, yeah, a bell's not going to work. It's like, yeah, whenever someone gets stabbed in the face or whenever like a, a base is blown up, <laughs> whenever a blaster goes off, Sabine gets her wings. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, a little fun kind of Easter egg for that chase scene is that this canyon is the same one that we saw in Ryloth earlier this season. The team just like retexturized it a little bit and put a creek in it. Um, and then that also there's sense. like a little bit of an additional spire, the one that Sabine blows up and knocks over. But so we have technically seen this location before. That's they just so reused it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just I love that about Lucasfilm animation. It's you know they have a set amount of resources to work with, so they find ways to be able to repurpose and use things that they've done before. And then not just animation, the Lucasfilm animation department, but just Lucasfilm <laughs> in general. That's what they yeah. do. And and I love that it's constantly looking back and seeing how can we make something new. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they did a good job because I don't think, you know, if, if it wasn't pointed out specifically, I don't think anyone would have really noticed. I definitely did not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also about that scene, I I remember it was first debuted at Star Wars Celebration Europe in oh, London. Oh, cool. And I remember freaking out. Because one, I wasn't there. <laughs> and yep. two, I thought, oh my God, we're going to get Sabine and Ezra. And, and because I love it. I love when they pair these two up because they yeah. just, they work off each other so well. Yeah. And was that, I, I'm, I'm not remembering the timeline, but at that point, did you know about the green lightsaber and the jetpack or was that kind of like a big reveal? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Because I feel like that would have been something I would have freaked out about. And they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got a jetpack. <laughs> There's that, a green lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, that I remember. I think I remember thinking uh, the jetpack is is a great addition. But I don't totally. remember noting the green lightsaber. Oh, man, yeah. I have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> if I wrote my reaction anywhere. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and, I mean... I, I also like, this is just another funny Ezra scene. He's some, he, he can go in and out with the humor, but this was a good Ezra episode, I thought. Um, but when he asks what took her so long to rescue him, and she says she was using strategy. Yeah. And, he's like, <laughs> and he's like, how's that how's strategy working out for you now? <laughs> I just feel like it's it shows so much about their characters because like the extent of their strategies usually, hey, let's blow this thing up. <laughs> funny that they kept referring to strategy in this episode <laughs> totally. like from the very beginning when they were playing that game oh yeah, yeah and they just kept referring to it and i'm just like you know half the time there is no strategy <laughs> i know <laughs> but you know that is how sabine operates and i like to think mm-hmm. that it's partly because of her imperial academy background yeah totally and it's fun to me too that it's just like they're talking about it with disdain, like "oh, strategy." That's why it took so long. So boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know we've talked about her a lot, but this season I feel like there's it's they've really stepped up some of the animation. Just there's some very cool iconic scenes that I'm starting to notice a lot more starting this season and going forward. And so you know there's just like cool a cool scene where. Ezra turns around and faces down the, 
Imperial Super Commandos and ignites his green lightsaber. Like it's just a cool kind of set piece. Um, and I just really enjoy that he has that lightsaber and not his bubblegum shooting staple gun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one though. <laughs> um, but yeah, you are right with there being such iconic moments and just visual visuals on the screen because just mm -hmm. him surfing on chopper yeah. is, is just so cool to me and now i see it and i think back to that episode um because it's it's just who would have thought you know <laughs> him surfing on chopper uh so fun i would love to do that but i don't know if there's a weight limit <laughs> i know i know what you mean <laughs> i'm sorry chop yeah um, but I mean, honestly, that's, we're going to get into so much more Mandalorian stuff. So, I mean, there are general things we can talk about, but those are kind of the only notes I had for this episode so far. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Oh gosh, I have a whole list here. So let Let's me do look. it. <laughs> that's why we have you. This is great. <laughs> oh, 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 well, this is probably going to dive a little bit into our Mandalorian discussion, but just, uh, Rao mentioning that Sabine could have been a protector. Had she... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, she lies as well as you, boy. Her own mother stands with me and the Empire now. I doubt you gave her much choice, traitor. She came round herself after you abandoned the Imperial Academy. Your cowardice shamed your family's name and standing. Had you honored your commitment, you could be wearing this armor now. Yeah, had she stayed with Mandalore and not have gone to the... I mean, not that she had a choice, really. A lot of people were scooped up for the Imperial Academy. But yeah, yeah the idea of her becoming a protector is just really cool in my head. Because yeah. then she will be directly connected to... If things had played out correctly and the Empire wasn't a factor, she could have been immediately connected to the the Mandalore, you know, the the leader mm -hmm. of of this planet. So, oh, yeah, just yeah. The, the idea of having her inside that and and her being under um Fen Rao's training and whatnot. She would have been a fierce. I mean, she is a fierce <laughs> warrior, but I feel yeah. like she would have been more entrenched in her Mandalorian culture. Absolutely. And that's a good point, and I think it's interesting to think about whether or not that actually would have taken place because at this point, you know, um, Saxon is the hand of the emperor. We will come to see. And he mentioned something about how, you know, he knew about the rebels and the protectors kind of game their agreement for a long time, but he let it happen so that he can lure them out or something like that. So, you know, would she have actually become a protector or maybe she would have been scooped up to be a super commando? Um, oh, yeah. because they're actually kind of the muscle on the, the people who are in charge under the empire at this moment. So it's kind of interesting about the kind of shadow government that's in the background. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a brilliant point. Yeah. The fact that yeah. these two paths were highlighted for her in this episode. Yeah. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm purposely not revisiting any of these episodes until we watch them. So I might be a little fuzzy on this, but didn't Sabine's brother become a super commando? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. He wore the armor and everything. Yep. So I think it's a, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about as well is, you know, she could have continued with her Imperial training and then defended Mandalore in a much different way than she ends up actually doing in this mm. arc, which is kind of cool. Yeah. 
And uh, something else that was just uh, so hilarious to me <laughs> was uh, when they were headed on their way to Concord Dawn and Ezra is looking at Rao and Rao is looking back at Ezra. And there's just this very awkward <laughs> moment of just like exchanges. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, Ezra's trying to whistle it, trying to like. <laughs> I know it's so fun. And it's like, you could tell too that he's just like, this is so awkward. I'm going to go to the cockpit now. And that's ultimately what ends up getting them screwed over by Rao. But he just couldn't keep it together. No, no. Yeah. And and that's what one of the things I love about Ezra and even uh, Kaz from Star Wars Resistance. Mm, yeah. You know, they they mess up. <laughs> they, 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 oh, really? I hadn't bound, noticed. Yeah, yeah. They, they're <laughs> bound to make mistakes that are so them. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many times it's happened. It's just it's just naturally going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I know that because I do those same stupid mistakes <laughs> all the time. And I thought, man, didn't I learn this last time? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so real. <laughs> And I just, I just love the fact that he just doesn't get, and he says it, I don't get the whole Mandalorian <laughs> thing. Yeah. And it's it's very uh, identifiable because a lot of people who are watching this show or, or Star Wars in general don't know what this <laughs> Mandalorian thing is about. I think I remember reading a tweet recently saying that, you know, someone didn't know that this show, The Mandalorian, is coming out later this year. And they had heard it in passing, but they thought it was about some Italian monarchy, um, <laughs> <laughs> something about like a historical drama type show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine someone tuning in with that context and be like, Oh, I'll check out this new show about Italian monarchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. It's so hilarious to me, but it was ultimately because of just the, the marketing around it and how we really don't know what it's about. Cause there's been no trailer and stuff like that. I mean, D 23 is around the corner, so yep. we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about it, but, <laughs> but just that was that I found funny because people just aren't aware of what Mandalorians are and whatever they get. It's just very confusing. And I know Dave has, he says, he said time, um, uh, a different time before that he's, put together this large extensive tree of what mm -hmm. clans are under which houses and that's another thing in this episode i had to actually rewind the the first time and i am sure i commented on it when i first made the commentary episode with my mom but they say um rao says clan vizsla He's from Clan Vizsla. And I mm. thought, what? There's a Clan Vizsla underhouse Vizsla? What does it all mean? <laughs> so, yeah, there's so much yeah. about the Mandalorians that I just I wish it could be fleshed out in a book. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and I, I, I wonder how much of that we're going to get in the Mandalorian, because, you know, I've I've said for a while that there's a strong possibility that the Mandalorian is not even really a Mandalorian, kind of like how. Um, well, with Fett wasn't actually a Mandalorian. He just took that monkier. Is that the word? I don't know what the word is, but uh, he took the yeah, armor. Yeah, the moniker. Moniker. moniker? Yeah. yeah. It's spelled weird. <laughs> the yeah, it is. It really monkier. is. <laughs> <laughs> he took, yeah, but he took the armor. He took the helmet and that kind of became his personality much more than it was an actual culture or anything that he had related to him. So, you know, there's a possibility that this guy's just a badass gunslinger and like found some Mandalorian armor, but 
I think they've indicated that this guy actually is a Mandalorian, so maybe we're going to dive deep into these things in a live-action context, which seems to hold a little more weight with the story group than any of the animated stuff, so that could be a really cool opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, ho- I hope we'll get little bits and pieces that will really flesh out some of the things we've seen in the animated shows. Yep. But something else that I, I thought that really stood out to me was when Sabine and Rao are headed one way and Ezra's headed the other as the Imperial Super Commandos are upon them. And Ezra sees that Sabine and Rao are going to get caught. So he distracts the super, uh, the super commandos and he sacrifices himself essentially. Mm, yeah. And Rao says his sacrifice saved us. So don't waste it. Uh, and I, that, that to me, that line just takes on a whole new meaning, especially when you think about the finale, mm, because yeah. Ezra essentially sacrificed himself so don't waste it. And Sabine doesn't because she ends up rehabilitating Lothal and uh, essentially eventually goes off to find Ezra. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought that that was a, such an interesting choice of words. I mean, I'm not sure how far ahead they were at this point. I'm sure they had an inkling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just revisiting this episode really illuminated um, yeah. that line. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I also, I mean, I just wanted to comment too that I don't really know what he was trying to do. Like, if he was purposely trying to sacrifice himself, because those shots he took were really bad. Yeah, they, they were. were <laughs> he was so close and like ended up like hitting their feet. It's like it was like stormtrooper level aiming. Yeah, I, I think it was just that he just didn't want to take anyone's life in the process. Yeah, yeah so. he's not Sabine. Sabine would walk up and shoot him right in the face, which she has done multiple times. She has. She has. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just Ezra taking up several different names uh, or oh, dropping names yeah. like Hondo Onaka and I'm Lando <laughs> Calrissian. I knew there was a treasure here and I wanted to find uh, it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm glad Mike wasn't here because he would have gone on a rant about that. He hates that he keeps using like real people's names, which is totally <laughs> true. Like, it's like, what if like I got captured and I was like, it's like, what's your name? And I'm like, uh, George Bush. <laughs> Like, wait, no, he's the president. And it's, like, <laughs> it's and it's so funny because it's a common thing that happens. I remember there was an episode. I don't know whether anyone who listens watches this or had watched it, but Stargate SG One mm, is yeah. a show that I'm a huge fan of. And one time they get caught back in 1969. They traveled to that time and they get caught by some Russians and. And they say, and one of them says, my name is Luke Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) So, yeah, I know, I know it could get kind of, especially with Ezra, because he keeps dropping those type of names in those situations. But uh, they're always funny and Mm -hmm. change the mood. (laughs) Yeah. And it does, I mean, it's not that bad right now, but like it is kind of like he sometimes doesn't have the most tact. Like he'll talk to a, like crime kingpin about yeah my name's Jabba yeah. it's like oh a notorious crime boss okay cool or like he'll say his name's Hondo or Lando to a bunch of smugglers and it's like you know they run in the same circles you should really pick your names a little more strategically yeah yeah that's the thing about Ezra yeah <laughs> he's not he's he's good sometimes no time for strategy yeah exactly <laughs> strategy isn't his strong suit no <laughs> um 
And and I just I also like how he revealed his force abilities in front of Saxon. Yeah. And how um it was just so funny to me how Saxon says uh, that he calls him a Jedi. And I thought, man, people just see force sensitive people and think that they're mm, Jedi. What yeah. if they're just force sensitive people? <laughs> they don't have to have an affiliation with the Jedi. Yeah. Um, it's just because they're they're they really don't know much about the Jedi. And it just that's Mandalorian's you know, reacting to their history. Totally. Yeah. Because you think in context of the only times that he may have ever come into contact with the force wielders, it would be the battle of Mandalore. It would be, you know, with Maul and the sons of son of Dathomir arc. Um, so in, in the context of Mandalore of Mandalore, you know, the only thing he knows are these strong warriors. Um, and also as he's working for the empire, he knows that Jedi, and force wielders are kind of enemy number one. So he's like, yeah. you just became more powerful of a, or more important of a prisoner. So I yeah, think that is yeah. kind of interesting. And, and yeah, and just going off of that, this is my last note, but I just, I love seeing again, Ezra and Sabine working together because it's so contrary to what they've been told about their own pasts as Jedi and Mandalorians. And mm. Uh, to me, it's like it's very Capulet and Montague <laughs> from, from Romeo and Juliet because yeah. it's, it's their two different houses and they're always at war with each other. That's a really good point, and I, I think we should keep that into in our head in the context of when we get into the dark saber arc, arc because you know she is eventually able to prove herself in battle against someone much more experienced than her in a lot of ways, wielding the dark saber because she was open to the training from a couple Jedis. So it kind of shows the power of what could happen when Mandalorians and Jedis work together. Yes. Yeah. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all my, <laughs> all my points. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So how we like to end each episode is by saying our favorite thing and our least favorite thing in Star Wars currently. And just another emphasis, I like to remind people from time to time, even bad Star Wars is better than most things. So that's why we say least favorite thing in Star Wars, because we still love these things. Um, And then we put this episode in between that scale. So. For example, my favorite thing currently in Star Wars is Rey pulling out the lightsaber from the snow and it whirring past Kylo Ren's face into her waiting hands. My favorite, my least favorite thing is everything C-3PO has done at any other time other than the original trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so between those things, I give this episode Boba Fett flirting with the Thielen in, in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I do like that moment. <laughs> yeah. I've made my Boba Fett thoughts quite clear. I'm not a huge fan of Boba Fett specifically, but it's a fun little moment that it gives you a little peek into the, into the greater universe. Right, um, right. I love that movie. I have a special place in my heart for Return of the Jedi. And so it's just like kind of a weird thing. And it leaves you wondering, like, what's this guy's deal? What's this lady's deal? Huh. And that's kind of how I feel about Mandalorian. So I'm going to give this episode a B. Got it. Okay. Yeah. What about you? 
So for me, from Fenral calling Ezra a pawn, because that's a bad thing, Fen. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Kevin McKidd and Ray Stevenson voicing Fenral. Oh, yeah. And, that's another fun and thing. And Gar Saxon, which is awesome because of... Anyone has watched Rome, they, they'll know that these two actors were together in that series. And uh, and I love how they pull in another actor from Rome in a future Star Wars Rebels episode. So I was like, oh, Rome reunion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the coolest thing at this moment. Great. And uh, so for me, this is Ursa Wren taking a shot at Gar Saxon. <laughs> yeah. That awesome shot, kill shot. And uh, and to me, that's an A because I love this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like it's just like, I mean, I could just put you down for like an A for like the episodes. Like if this is an A, this is an A. Yeah, this is pretty an a. much. That's pretty much. One of the reasons why we love you. <laughs> this is an A plus 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 plus. Awesome. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> So would you like to tell the people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So listeners can find me over at Blue Jake Eyes on Twitter. And they can also find me at thewookiegunner.com. And that's mm-hmm. Wookiee with two E's. And they can also listen to me and my mom talk about Star Wars Resistance and currently Star Wars The Clone Wars over at the Geeky Bubble Pod. Beautiful. You can also find us at Rebels Rebels Pod on all of your stuff. So that's Instagram and Twitter and Gmail, just Rebels Rebels Pod. And then you can also please tell people about this podcast. Um, if you are enjoying it, we are we would love you to spread the word. Um, you can even listen using one of your assistants. Say, okay, Google, show me the latest episode of Rebels Rebels. Um, that's kind of a fun way to kind of get it while you're doing dishes and things like that. So please hit us up if you have any questions or comments. And I'm really excited to keep going with this season and keep doing some D&D episodes. Check those out. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, but in the meantime, I think this is going to be the tragic last episode as guest hosts with Jonah Marie. Sadly. We'll obviously have you on so many more times. Yay. And we thank you so much for filling in during Mike's absence. I'm happy to do so. It was, it's been a blast. Yeah, you were great. We love you. Everyone loves you. I so, love you guys. So thank you so much. Mike will be back with next on our next episode with a very fun special guest. So please check that out. And in the meantime, be brave out out there and don't look back. Don't look back. Bye.